I've been preaching a series called the Pastoral Letters. So this is, I want to say, week 15, maybe week 16. And uh, and what we have been doing is laying foundation. Um, we have we started off in First Timothy, and we've also uh, been in Titus and Second Timothy, but we've kind of plowed our way through First Timothy, and so we find ourselves in First Timothy five. Last week, uh, so this is pretty funny. Last week I preached um, out of First Timothy five, and I honored. Do you remember that? And it was funny because somebody, um, one of the wives, was talking to her husband, and I found this hilarious. She's like, "What did what did you guys do to stir up Mark? What happened?" And he's like. I didn't do nothing. We didn't do nothing. You know, I want you guys to know I didn't preach on on honor because there had been uh, dishonoring that takes place. I preached on honor because that's what the Lord wanted to drive home. We are called to be a church where the, this is an environment of honor, where that we we honor the Lord. We honor the Lord with our lives. We honor the Lord with our giftings. We we honor the the leadership. If we can get this door closed, that would be awesome. Um, and maybe even have the kids turn it down just a little, or maybe close other doors. That would be fantastic. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, honor. We we are called to be a people of honor. When we go outside these doors, they're not supposed to question whether or not we have an agenda. They're not supposed to question whether or not our love is authentic or the respect that we have for them as his lost is disingenuous in any way. We are supposed to be a people of honor. We look at the honor that Jesus showed to the woman caught in adultery. And that's our example of how we treat the lost. It's not just the church that deserves honor. We are to be a people of honor because Christ was a man of honor. So that theme will continue uh, today. I want us to kind of have that uh, as, as just kind of a in the background kind of theme. But let's go ahead and pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're at verse 17. Reading from the New Living Translation. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. So I want us to have vision here, and I want us to kind of think beyond where we're at right now. Right now, Karen and I are the only elders here at Impact Rock. You guys know that. But question for you. Where where do you think God is going to bring our elders from? What's the most likely place he's going to bring elders into this church? Where's it going to be from? From right here. Okay, I I do believe that God has elders that he's going to bring in from the outside that we haven't met yet that are called. Absolutely, without a doubt. That's what he does. But God is going to raise up elders from within right here. Okay, 
So as, as we're, we're preaching this word, if you're, when I'm talking about elders, if you're just thinking about Kara and I, then, then we're missing it. We're missing the big picture. We're missing the vision of what God has. When we talk about elders and leaders, God is constantly raising up leaders. What did we do last month? We set in place our first deacons. That's awesome. But you know what? There are more. Three deacons ain't enough. There are more. And there are elders. We see in this passage, it says, do not lay hands upon someone quickly. What that means is, don't be in a hurry to set someone in and appoint them as, as a leader. Be patient. Why? It says in that scripture, that in doing so, we actually share in their sin. If we are irresponsible with the setting of leaders, and there's, you know, there's sin, there's, there's a blind side, and we miss that, then there's a shared responsibility that we have in that. So we're patient in it. Why don't we have any elders other than Karen and I right now? I've got the simplest of answers. Anyone think they know the answer? God hasn't, God hasn't told us otherwise. We obey God. He hasn't said, this is who's supposed to be an elder. So we sit and wait patiently. Why? Amen. Amen. God is raising up leaders from within this place. God is putting his thumb on, on some of you. And there's a pressing taking place. There's a crushing taking place. We got a lot of grapes and we got a lot of olives. That. Praise God, a grape is wonderful. But when the crushing takes place and the wine that's produced is even more viable than that grape. Olives. The olive is great. But it's not as valuable as the olive oil. The oil does not come without crushing. Too many times we uh, we despise or we resent or we fight the crushing of the Lord. We're like, Lord, this is difficult. This is hard. That word is solipsis. It, it means the crushing. It's difficult. But God is in the process of doing things, not just, not just up here, but in every one of those seats. He, he's raising up leaders. So as we continue on this, me- on this message, keep in mind that it's not just me and Kara that this is applying to. It, it definitely applies to us. But just think bigger. As we hear this word, we have some practical but useful instructions here. Verse 17 and 18 it talks about faithful church leaders should be supported and appreciated. Too often, leaders are targets for criticism due to unreal expectations. Unreal expectations. I I love that this passage is there, but I want to make something perfectly clear. There's only one perfect man in this place, and he's uh, not wearing brown converse. Okay? Um, It's Jesus. You know, we are flawed. But man, we pursue God. We passionately and relentlessly pursue God. I'm not up here because I have the least amount of sin. I'm up here because God called me here and because I passionately run to Him and am dependent upon Him. I need Him. Friends, we are to be a church of, of repentance. This is going to be a theme that we hear throughout the night. 
We need to be a church that, that embraces and loves and values repentance. A couple questions to ask yourself. How do you treat your church leaders? How do you honor them? Now, once again, let me... I think Karen and I are honored and appreciated. I want us to think bigger than that, see? Because you're sitting next to people that you're like, oh, that's just so-and-so. That's just Kelly. That's just Gary. That's just Hawk. Okay? That's, that's my man. That's my friend. You see them that way. But what happens when God says, no, this isn't just Mike. This is the guy I want to lead this ministry. Now how is he seen? Now how is he honored? Now how is he respected? Now how is the gifting respected? See, that's important, guys. It's not just the person that we respect. It's the gifting that we have to respect. And that the Holy Spirit is the giver of those gifts. Another question. Do you enjoy finding fault or do you show your appreciation? Do you know that when people take a poll in in the workplace, people would be willing to take less money if they were appreciated? I guarantee you that ain't a whole lot less money. I mean, you know, money is... But appreciation. Disgruntled employees because they aren't appreciated. My friends, we are to appreciate one another. When we discern the body, we have to appreciate the body. We have to appreciate one another. Jesus and Paul emphasize the importance of supporting those who lead and teach us. I'm going to pull a Tarantino and kind of jump forward and then I'll kind of jump back. But there's a chunk I want to camp on. So we're going to kind of jump forward. So, you know, uh, in that same chapter we read, verses 22, 23, 24, 25. Paul says that a church should never be in a hurry about choosing, choosing its leaders. Because there are problems or sins that might be overlooked. Here's my encouragement to you guys. God is being patient with you. We are being patient with you. We are so full of faith for you. But please do not lose the sense of importunity that you you need to, to move and act and grow and seek and worship and spend time with Him and be in relationship with Him. You've got to have that sense of urgency because just because we're being patient doesn't mean that there's not a need that's here. A word came forth about the foundation that's being laid. And we've had that multiple times. We need more leaders to, to walk in the things that God has spoken of us that we have grabbed a hold of and believed by faith we need we need more leaders than there are butts in the seats right now. There's not. I mean, I, I don't know what the headcount is. I'll get that later. And you know, but we need we need a room full of leaders. Why? Because we are called to be a pillar in this community that affects Erie and then beyond. It's a serious responsibility to choose church leaders. The word tells us they must have strong faith and be morally upright, having the qualities described in First Timothy three. 1 through 13, and then Titus 1, 5 through 9. I say it every time I mention those. Those characteristics it mentioned. What's, what's the prevailing qualification of those, those items that are listed? Anybody know the word I'm looking for? Character. Character. We read 1 Timothy 3. It is all about character. It doesn't list this long list of spiritual gifts. 
You've got to be able to prophesy and you've got to be able to lay hands, you know, and, and work miracles. And you've, no. As a matter of fact, it, for qualifications of an elder, it talks about being able to teach. But other than that, everything else is character. Tonight's word is as much about character as anything else. We have got to be a people of character, genuine, real, walking out what we believe, what we say we believe. So we're going to go ahead and hop back now. Verses 19 through 21. It talks about... Actually, Andy, could you bring that back up again? Um, that Just that whole passage from from 1 Timothy 5. It's at 17, I believe. Okay, 19, 19 works too. 17. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Let's go to the next verse. Next one. Verse 19. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. We see in the scripture a very clear outline of how we are to handle reprimanding, rebuking, sin, and unfortunately, we, as the church, we just stink at it. For the most part, we're just really bad at it because we forget the most important thing. We forget relationship. We immediately go to legalism. We immediately go to law. We think reprimanding, rebuke, law, legalism. No, relationship. We are called to be in relationship. How would you handle correction just in a relationship. Forget forget titles, forget responsibilities. How would you honor a friend in relationship? First thing you do is you'd pray for him. Before you go to that person, you'd pray for him. Second thing is you you would assume the best. Hey, you know what? I I heard this about Hawk, but I know Hawk. So I, you'll forgive me if I just choose not to to believe that. We assume the best of one another. Why are we so quick to assume the worst? Why are we so quick to go, oh yeah, oh yeah, and pile on and throw our our stone? Relationship. Before we should be bringing correction or rebuke to anybody, we better be going to the Lord first. Lord, I, I lift up my sister before you, Father. and Lord, I see something there that I'm concerned about. And so, Lord, I just... I just lift her before you, Father. And I just pray your grace, Lord. If there's something there, and if you want me to say something, Lord, then let me know and I'm willing. What a beautiful approach. Isn't that great? Relationship. So then, then we go and we say, hey, you know, can we, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's grab, let's grab lunch. Let's, let's grab a cup of coffee or whatever. Relationship. You don't call a meeting. Relationship. There is, there is a place for the reprimanding of church leadership. I want to read, there's a verse we read here, and I want to read it just in a little bit different translation because I like the way that it says it there. Um, let's read from the that verse from 1 Timothy. This is out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. As for those who persist in sin, as for those who persist in sin, 
rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Those who persist in sin. If we read that passage and go, those who sin, then I should have been rebuked you know, and reprimanded a long time ago, right? But it's those who persist in sin. Those who sin and, and refuse to make change. There's a passage that's just, man, I love Psalm 19. My friends, fall in love with Psalm 19. It is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And I, I want to read section uh, verses 7 through 13 of Psalm 19. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. I'm going to stop right there. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. All too often, we look at Scripture as something other than the freedom and the liberty that it is. The instructions of the Lord as something other than the perfect commands for shaping our lives and giving us freedom that they are. The next part, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. I love how this builds. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Do we, do we feel that way about the word of the Lord, either, either scripture or worship or the spoken word or the prophetic, that it's more valuable than gold, the finest gold? We should. One of the things that, that I find that I minister the most to people is, you know, I, I don't know how to hear from God. How do I hear from God? My friends, hearing the voice of the Lord is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. Read the book of John all throughout it. Talks about those who hear the Lord. Jesus talks about it. I don't do anything except I hear from my Father. Hearing from the Lord, whether it's through His Word or whether through it's through something, you know, through someone delivering a word, is to be valued. It is to be precious. It is to be clung to. Verse eleven. They are a warning to your servants. A great reward for those who obey them. Everyone say, a great reward for those who obey them. Okay, they're there. The instructions are there. The commandments are there. The decrees are there. The life is there. We have to come into agreement with it. We've got to say, Lord, you are right and for the most part, I am wrong. And I know that pains all of us to say that because, you know, we're all right, you know. Such a huge majority of the time. I know I am. I mean, a huge majority, right? Lord, you are right. Lord, you are true. Lord, what you say, I obey. Verse 12. And this is really what I, I want to drive this home. 
We just got done talking about the truth. How awesome the Word of God is. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. There's two things I want to talk about tonight. The hidden sins and the deliberate sins. And I don't care if you're an elder or a church leader or just a... I mean, what else is there? I mean, just a member of the body. How do we treat deliberate sin? How do we treat the hidden sin? I want you guys to know where there is hidden sin, where there are things that we keep in secret, God is limited in how He can move because He gives us free will. He gives us choice. He says, I stand at the door and knock. It doesn't say, I'm going to Rambo this bad boy and kick it down. Right? I stand at the door and knock. God wants us to open it up and say, Lord, whatever junk needs to come out and whatever you need to bring in, Lord, that's fine, but here you go. And we use the example of, you know, you walk into a kitchen, you turn the lights on, you look down and the cockroaches scatter. Anybody been in that scenario? I have. You flip a light on and cockroaches just take off and we're immediately disgusted and appalled and maybe frightened. You know, they're cockroaches. You know, that can be frightening. Same thing with our sin. We're afraid to have the lights turned on and our sins exposed. We want those secret things to be secret. Why? Because we think they're so disgusting and so appalling that whoever sees them is going to be scared and frightened and gross. You know, they're just going to be turned off, right? No, that's not the way it is. Why? Because we're in relationship. Why? Because we all serve the same Savior who paid the price for our sin. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to that cross. Not the really yucky, not the axe murderer. Okay? It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. Now we get in the bad habit of of judging sins. This is a little white lie. We even have little terms for them. This is a little white lie. And this, and and you know what the biggest ones are? We We know what the biggest ones are, right? Sure we do. Anything having to do with sex is the biggest one, right? I don't care what it is. Anything having to do with sex, we judge as the biggest ones. Who are the biggest sinners in the world according to the church? Homosexuals, right? Not you and I who our sin is, you know, is still the same sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, but those with with sexual things behind it. What's the biggest what's the biggest thing that you know that could rip churches apart? Those things that have to do with sexual sin. But they are all sin. No one gets straight to fidelity without hiding things along the way. There's not an affair that takes place without things, little things being hidden all across the way. Not that text, delete that text. Not that email, delete that email. Not that glance. I hope they didn't see that glance. We are not supposed to have anything in secret. There is nothing just to be kept from God. When we do, it is danger. And this should be our prayer. Cleanse me from these hidden faults. But then the next verse, keep your servant from deliberate sins. 
Guys, what are the things that we do deliberately? What are the things that we do again and again? And we know they're wrong, but we've, we've put them on the lower scale of sin. Or we've, we've written them off as personality traits. And uh, I know it's a little gossipy, but that's just me. Right? Or, I mean, hey, you know, we can insert our own personalization to it because we all have them. The things that we write off as being our personality, it's like, okay, I, I hear you. We're all different and unique. But that little unique personality trait, does it look like Jesus? Does Jesus have that same trait? If Jesus has that same trait, man, cling to it. You don't got to let go of it. You don't got to repent of it. You don't got to change it. If Jesus has that same trait, you're good. But if it is not a trait that we would use to identify Jesus or characterize Jesus, then it needs to be repented of. I, I love repentance. You guys, I love repentance. Lord, let us be a church that loves repentance. Repentance doesn't have to be that heavy-handed, on-your-knees, bawling, emotional response. Repentance, the word metanoeo, it, this is how it's translated. The word repentance in the, New, in the New Testament, the Greek, to change one's mind, to repent, to change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. That is repentance, to change our mind. Whether an elder, whether we're a deacon, whether we're a worship leader, whether we work with the kids, whether we greet, whether this is our first time here. We are to be a people of repentance who are quick to change our mind. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Lord, we've got to read this passage again. Lord, all your ways are true. All your ways are true. And so I see what you want for me and I see that's what it is. And Lord, I see that this is where I've been focusing. This is where my attention is. So Lord, I change my mind and I agree with you. That's repentance. When it talks about renewing of mind or having the mind of Christ, that's what it is. If we have the mind of Christ and we walk that out and we walk a life of freedom, tonight's call to action is, is this. And there is a call to action. Be a thoughtful people. Giving thought, giving weight to the things in our lives. What are the things that we do just deliberately and again and again that we need to say, Lord, it doesn't glorify you. And so I change my mind about, about doing that. Lord, I repent. And then also not growing weary. Not growing weary we, do you know that we are to cling to Him and pursue Him for endurance? We don't always have endurance. So we pursue Him for endurance. Endurance in what? In being a people that just keep screwing up. But that's okay. Because I, I want to just repent one more time that I screw up. That's, that's all. Being a people that are quick. Say, Lord, I agree with you. My friends... I know the hidden sins are, it's scary, okay? 
if all of us right now, if we, if we knew that our hidden sins were going to be projected up on that screen, which by the way, just a little pause, as a kid, I was terrified of that. I'm like, because I knew the prophetic. So as a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, God's going to totally bust me out. I totally stole that. I totally cheated on that test and God's going to bust me out in the middle of service. I'd come to church so many times terrified because I'm like, I know, Lord, I know who you are. And I know the prophetic and you're just going to nail me. Okay, God's not going to do that. So nothing's going to pop up on the screen. I want to make sure that's totally clear. Okay, relationship. I wouldn't do that to you and, you know, we're good. God's good too. Um, but if that ugly thing, that hidden thing, was popped up there, the thing that would bring so much shame and we're like, oh my gosh, I could never show up again. You guys, that thing is not bigger than the blood of Jesus. It is not bigger than the grace of God. The good news about turning the lights on and the cockroaches scattering, you know you got roaches. And you can do something about it, right? You know you got roaches. You know you got something there. You don't have to be afraid of the light. Too often we're afraid of the light. What do we do? I'm not going to turn on the lights. I'm not going to go in the lights. No. He is good. He is... When I hear a single word from Him, it's more precious than gold. It's more wonderful than honey. We don't have to be afraid of going in the light. So we go to Him. And you know what? I'm, not, I'm telling you this right now. It doesn't have to be done publicly. Don't think you've got to come and have some public presentation. As a matter of fact, please don't do that. You know, don't do that. You know, why? Because you've got a relationship with God. You can go directly to Him. You don't have to go through a priest. I ain't a priest. I'm a graphic designer. You can go straight to God and say, God, this is what I've kept hidden. You know it anyway, but I'm bringing it to you. I'm not waiting for the light to be shown. I'm bringing the hidden to you. I'm turning the lights on. Here's what it is, Lord. I repent. I give it to you. Lord, change me. You guys, Psalm 19, please, please, please read that. Study that. Commit this to your heart. The deliberate sins. My friends, the things that we deliberately do, that we do again and again and again, we see through Scripture here in 1 Timothy 5, those are the things that at some point, it's, it's not the hidden sins that we see that there's going to be this you know, big grandstanding thing, but if there's deliberate sin and, and we are leaders and we refuse to make change, we refuse to make Him Lord, to make Him King of those things, then there's need for a rebuke. If there are things in my life that are sin, and as a leader, as an elder, if I refuse to make change and they are deliberate, intentional, repetitive, persistent sins, you know what? I need to be rebuked. And maybe a little beat down too. You know, it's there needs to be something. Because there's a responsibility that comes with standing up here and pointing you to Jesus. And that's that my life better be lined up with Him. And I better be pursuing Him. I'm not called to be perfect. I'm not. I am called to be repentant. I am. So let's get rid of the secret sin, the, the hidden sin, the willful sin. Let's pray.